Welcome to New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot Maloney, a Benedictine monk and professor of New Testament studies at St. Vincent's Seminary, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Hello, this is Brother Elliot. Well, we have been discussing at length the ideas that Jesus must have been thinking about before his death especially in the profound and prophetic actions he took at the Last Supper. But even with all the love and care with which he performed those deeds, it was just too difficult for the disciples to understand them. It was only by his actual death that they could see the meaning of all of it, how this selfless life allowed the power of God to manifest itself fully and how Jesus' death showed a faith that saves. So the twelve did not understand the meaning of the symbolic actions over the bread and wine at the Last Supper and kind of sympathize with them. When Jesus went into the quiet of Gethsemane to compose himself, and to pray for strength for his upcoming ordeal. His most intimate friends could not grasp how serious that moment was either, and so they fell asleep on him. Then when the plot was hatched and Judas and the guards came to arrest Jesus, all the disciples ran away. You can't believe in something you can't understand. And you can't be brave about something you don't quite believe. So Jesus was taken away alone to be tortured, beaten, and humiliated. He had known all along that what he would do in the temple would have the most dire consequences. But he was so crushingly alone now, abandoned by his disciples and then belittled, accused, and judged without any advocate. But his worst fears became reality when he was sentenced to crucifixion. This was the ancient world's most terrifying and painful method of execution, reserved only for the most heinous of crimes and those considered most dangerous to the ruling power. The Gospels record the atrocity very accurately. After much torture by beating with whips and rods, the accused was humiliated by being stripped of his clothes and then forced to carry the patibulum, that's that large upright part that went across, uh, for his arms, had to carry that heavy log to the place where he would die in the fierce Mediterranean sun. Now, let's pause a moment here to meditate on the way Jesus died. Although bloodied and beaten, such exposure did not directly terminate life but the torture certainly hastened the demise of anyone hung on a cross. Dangling by arms and feet, fastened to the upright, 
by ropes, or even by nails, often also by nails, as in the case of Jesus. Death came only slowly, with the agonizing victim gasping for air, until, in Jesus' case, standing on the nails through the bones of his feet, or pulling up on the nails driven through his wrists became impossible and no movement could be made to bring air into the lungs the result was asphyxiation yes the victim just stopped breathing and died now The Romans had one more torture for the unfortunate criminal in his struggle. They placed a small block or peg in the middle of the upright beam of the cross, just as at the level, just at the level of the victim's buttocks, so that he could gain a little purchase on it, and so extend his suffering by hanging on there before he passed out from lack of air. That's why the soldiers were instructed to break the legs of Jesus' crucified companions. At quitting time, out came the clubs to break the last support holding up a man leaning back on the sedile, as that little peg was called, a seat. The poor thing trying to cling to life. After that was only a few minutes' time before the lack of oxygen did its work. So that blow to break the legs was unnecessary in Jesus' case, for all the Gospels tell us that he died before it was necessary. The proof of a soldier of death by the soldier's lance piercing Jesus' side is recorded only in the fourth Gospel, but we can be sure that the attending Roman soldiers knew if the crucified was dead or not. Thus we see how horribly Jesus died. When he was on the cross dying, he cried out in prayer. Prayer like the good Jew that he was, telling God the exact nature of his distress. Eli, Eli, lemach shavachtani. In Hebrew, citing Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It felt like even God had abandoned him, and Jesus did not hesitate to tell that in prayer. Jesus is praying Psalm 22's verse 2 desperately, desperately, but without despair. And with a loud cry, he gives up his spirit. Now, why did Jesus allow this whole debacle to happen? Why didn't he stay out of Jerusalem? Why did he go to the most dangerous place in the world for him, a prophet who had to inveigh against the powerful religious establishment? had to tell them that they were 
thwarting God's plans, not helping. The answer is clear in the Gospels. God did not want Jesus to die. That should be clear to anyone who believes in Jesus God. Jesus knew that it was that it was God's will that he come to the center of Israel's religion and denounce as God's own spokesperson what the priests has, had done with that religion that God had bestowed himself on the chosen people. The religious leadership of the temple was compromised, preying really on the faithful, blocking rather than helping them to love and worship God. What happened was that Jesus was caught up in the power of the chief priests. They collaborated with the Roman authorities with lies and intrigue to their own advantage. Now, but why didn't Jesus try to escape from Jerusalem before it was too late? He had certainly understood what the response of the powerful aristocratic priests would be. Yet he never cried out. He never protested at his unwarranted arrest. Well, with hindsight, I think we can say with clear understanding that Jesus was trying to explain at the ritual of the Last Supper that his role, the way he understood himself, was as the suffering servant described in the latter part of the book of Isaiah. Yes. His death, that writing says, quote, shall justify the many whose iniquity he shall bear. He bore the sins of many and interceded for transgressors. In his death, Jesus became also the sacrificial victim of the new covenant, of a covenant renewed, a revitalization of that pact with God to bring a new exodus from the oppression of sin and evil, to forge a clear path to final eternal salvation. What Jesus accomplished by his suffering was to show us once and for all the only effective way to deal with evil. His is the only way that God means for all of us humans to confront what is bad. The only way, in fact, that evil can ever truly be destroyed. See, Jesus understood that violence just increases future evil. Like when he says to Peter, remember when he tries to defend him with force in the garden, he says to Peter, put up your sword, 
For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. That's in Matthew 26 at the end. Now, that's not just a saying. Put up your sword, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus really meant that. On the contrary, Jesus knew that present evil can be annihilated. It can be wiped out, but only by absorbing it. In his acceptance of the cross, Jesus took all the evil will of the chief priests, all of the fickleness of the crowds, all of the contempt of the Roman guards, the cowardice of his own friends, and the evil of all of our sins, and simply absorbed it on the cross with the power that God gave him. If, as St. Paul says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law, used for evil, of course, then, as Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Evil sin can be absorbed by God's power, as Jesus showed us. With his constant faith in God, Jesus soaked up and neutralized that evil like a strong physical person overcomes a poison, neutralizing its venom, even converting it into something good for life. For in the resurrection, God completely reversed the evil effects of the crucifixion, reinstating Jesus to new life, an existence glorified by God, and so provided a vivid demonstration of how we can follow this divine program for the end of evil. In the Church's Eucharist today, we celebrate this selfless act of Jesus for us, his acting out beyond any misunderstanding. Evil can indeed be destroyed by God's power, but it's only by being absorbed, often at great cost to the person, as it was in Jesus' case. Why such suffering, even when dealing with God's almighty power? It is not ours to question God's way of doing things. But St. Paul gives us a clue when he says, we hold this treasure in earthen vessels. By that, he means the clay pots and urns that were used instead of boxes in the ancient world. Grain and oil and other goods were stored in clay pots. We are the instruments for God's work, but we are made of clay, of the mud of the earth, like Adam was. But the Spirit is the breath of God that gives us great promise even though our humanity balks at our Christ-like destiny. Jesus teaching us his selflessness and his bold words and actions that led to his execution, all these were fully vindicated by God in the resurrection. 
God took that death and turned it around into new life, resurrected from this mortal form to a glorious and eternal existence in power. And my dear listeners, in each Eucharist we celebrate, we believe that God's gift of life through death is made present in Jesus Christ, guaranteeing the future resurrection of each of us. This is Brother Elliot Maloney. Thanks for listening in today. See you again on New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot.